We're going to be looking at book of Galatians, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 23 through chapter 4. Still no go? It's a brand new battery, too. Nope, still not working. Okay. Plan B. All right, well, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23. I'm going to read through 4 7. This is what we've been doing every week going through Galatians, asking, What is the gospel? What does it mean for us as Christians? How do we live? How do we grow as a Christian? Do we grow by trying really, really hard to be good to keep God's law? Or as what we've been learning is you grow by faith in the Son of God who lived for me, who gave himself up for me. And that's, that's what the gospel teaches. And that the, it's the radical principle that the Christian life is learning how to live out all the gifts that God has given us in his son Jesus. And so we live our lives, as we've been saying, stained in the, the, wearing the stainless robes of righteousness of Christ. That God looks at you and treats you, if you believe in his son, as if you had always kept the law. As if you had always done the right thing. As if you'd always loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loved your neighbor as yourself. And so this morning, as we get ready to read, we're going to hear about what some people have called one of the highest privileges the gospel offers. It's, it's the heart of our faith. We get to call God Father. He, get, he calls us his sons. And so let's read it and see what God's going to teach us this morning. This is the word of our God. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is either neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, I ask as we study the relationship of law and gospel this morning, of what Jesus has done, that you would get, get us by your spirit to cry out, Abba, Father. Show us the beauty of all the privileges we have as your sons, that we might 
not out of duty, but out of choice, follow you. So thank you for your grace, and help us now, we pray, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. One of the things we've been emphasizing week in and week out, that if, if, if you live your life by the law, by what you do, you're not going to play well with others. <laughs> you're not going to get along, because you're going to have to judge them by whatever standard you are holding them up to. So if you hold people to the perfection that you do not live, you're going to either be self-righteous and superior, or you're going to grovel and never feel like you're good enough, like you never measure up, and it's, it's not going to build community. And this was true in the world in which Paul wrote this letter. It's pretty amazing. These were prayers that were prayed by both Greek and Jew. Just listen to a couple of these. This was a Greek prayer. Thank you, God. Just not the biblical God, but a God in general. Thank you that I was born a human being and not a beast. Thank you that I was born a man and not a woman. And thank you that I'm a Greek, not a barbarian. Some Jews prayed this way. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, our King of the universe, because you have not made me a foreigner. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, you have not made me a slave. And blessed are you, O Lord, that you have not made me a woman. Um, in the Gospel of Thomas, this is not a real gospel, but um, this was a document that was supposed to be, it put words in Jesus' mouth that he never said, but this is, you'll hear this and you know why we don't accept it's not in your Bible. Same idea, this is what Simon Peter supposedly said, make Mary leave us for females don't deserve life. Jesus said, look, I will guide her to make her male so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every female who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that's brutal. So, so don't, that's not biblical, it's not truth. But I give you those prayers because you're seeing what Paul is showing you what is true in the gospel. That if God is Father and we are all sons, there is no superiority in the kingdom of God. We all have the same privileges. The same privileges as Jesus himself, to be able to call God Father. And that's why Paul says, there's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. You're all sons of God. And it's a beautiful picture that with God as Father, it changes everything. And yet it's also one of the most difficult things to believe. Right. But before I get there, I do want to point this out. Ladies, I am going to call you sons this morning um, because of the metaphor that Paul uses. It's not, he's not saying that your gender doesn't matter. But he is saying that because you are a son, you have the same privileges of a son. The very privileges that Christ has. And guys, we have, we're the bride of Christ, so we have to deal with some awkwardness too. So it goes both ways. It's just today, it's, it's, it's harder for the ladies. <laughs> but this whole idea is of God being a father and being good, it's really hard to, to keep straight in our minds, to believe. To, and yet, this is what Paul says. This is why God sent his son, so that we might be adopted as sons. So this is what John Owen says. This was a, a 16th century Puritan 17th century. 
He says, few people can carry their minds and hearts to this height by faith. Few people can get their minds wrapped around this truth. To rest their souls in the love of God the Father. Because we often live below it in the troublesome region of our hopes and fears and in our storms and what we are wearing. But this is the will of God, that he may be always seen as benign and non-threatening, kind, tender, loving and unchangeable as our Father. That's what God sent Jesus to reveal. You see, they're, they're really, it sounds so good. We want it to be true, and it's one of the most difficult things to believe because of what we go through and because of what we've done. That God really is good and kind and patient, that he wants to be your father, that he, he delights in that idea. I mean, we read the parable of the prodigal son together. That's part of the reason I selected that for our scripture reading. It's one of the best stories ever told, I think, in the history of the human race, as it shows us who God is. And you've got this son who says, I don't believe you're good, just give me my inheritance now. I want you dead, Dad. And he goes and wastes, wastes it all on parties and prostitutes, and his only plan for getting back into the Father's good graces is that I'm going to be a slave. I'm not worthy to be a son, so just let me live as a slave. And then when he comes back, he gets the welcome of a lifetime, a welcome he never would have imagined. His father throws his arms around him, he kisses him, even while he still reeks of pigs and poverty. And Jesus says, that's what God is like. Every time. Right? I mean, we don't just run off and party once. I mean, we, go, we leave here on Sundays and go back to our lives and we break the law again. This is the God of the gospel. The God who sent Jesus into the world to live under the law that we might receive adoption as sons so that we won't be content with just simply being servants. And so we, as we get ready to look at this passage, I want you to see Paul is taking us on a journey from slavery to see the beauty and privileges of sonship. Because I... I I mean, as a pastor, I know my own heart. This is, this is what I have to fight to believe every day, especially on Mondays. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a servant. I'm a son. God, help me to believe that today. And so let's look at this. Paul has two, two main points here. He's going to show how everyone under the law is a slave, and the gospel is better because if you come to God through faith in the gospel— you come and experience his sonship, his, his fatherhood. Now, so if you look at verses 23 and 24, Paul says we're under the law and imprisoned. And then he uses this word that we're under a guardian. And then when you get to chapter 4, he says, this is what I mean by a guardian. That even though you're, you could be a child, being under a guardian is no different than being a slave. And he's talking about this from the perspective of, of history. Of this is what it was like under Moses. Why would you want to go back to the time before Christ came? You, that, the law was intended to be a guardian. So let's look at it from that point of view first. And it's important because the same way God redeemed Israel from slavery in history, is, it's the same journey that he takes us individually from being under law 
into sonship. So let's look at the historical picture first. You've got to remember the context. Paul is saying and fighting back against these false teachers who were saying, believe in Jesus, do the law, and then you're saved. Whereas the gospel is, believe in Jesus, then you are saved, and then you will obey. And so Paul here is making the point that God's intention all along before Jesus came was to hold together a group of people under the law until the person would come who would actually keep the law. So when people say, you know, the Old Testament has all these laws, they're ridiculous, no one could ever keep them, you know, they say, yeah, that was God's point. That was his plan. And when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, he, he wanted to imprison them for their protection in relationship with him through the law so that when the seed came, when Jesus came, they would see the beauty of it and run to him. All right, so look at one. It says, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And so Paul says, picture this. You have a wealthy man who has no children. He has no heir. And this was the practice in Paul's day. <laughs> he has nobody to give his inheritance to. And so he had the ability and the power to look at anyone, a, a servant in his household, and say, I want you to be my son. And then he would then legally adopt him, change the relationship from owner and servant to father and son through the law. But while you're a child, you have no say in how the inheritance is spent. And so this is how, this is how it would work. The father would put the son under the protection and the guidance of a guardian who would protect that child until they were mature enough, until the time set by the father to have the full rights of sonship, to receive their inheritance. And this guardian in their day, I mean, they would watch the kids 24-7. Get, get them to school, tell them to brush their teeth, you know, take care of yourself, don't be a jerk, keep the law. Here's your curfew, do your homework, these kind of things. And what Paul's saying is that life for a child, even though the people of Israel had the privilege of a relationship with God, it was no different than slavery because they didn't have the freedom. You see that? Is that they... Even though God said, you are my son, Israel, today I have begotten you. I, I brought you out of Egypt. I'm treating you like my child. But the law is going to be your guardian until the one who obeys shows up. The law was their protector until, we have the, until Jesus would come. It was just temporary. And so Paul says, if you're going to abandon Faith in the gospel. If you're going to go back to the law, that's like saying, I want to go, <laughs> I want to go back to primary school. Right? Because adults believe the gospel. They have the full privilege of fatherhood in Christ by faith. But if you want to go back and live your life by the law, it's like a PhD saying, I want to go back to kindergarten and play with crayons. You see that? I mean... 
how crazy would it be, I'll put another example on this, how crazy would you sound if the time had come when your father gave you the full rights of sonship, you've got your inheritance, you've got all your money, say your father's a millionaire, you finally have access, and you say, no, I'd rather just stay and let my nanny pick out my clothes. I want someone else to tell me what to do. I don't want the responsibilities of having all this wealth. I'd rather be a slave, not a child. That's what the Galatians were doing. And really, that's what we do when we don't believe that God is a good father and we start living by the law. That's what John Owen said. The hardest thing to see is the goodness of our God, to relate to him as a father. And in Moses' day, they related to God as their father through the guardian. And so there was a very real sense that though God was near, there was not the intimacy. The Israelites couldn't run right into God's throne room. There was a wall. Called it the curtain in the tabernacle. If anyone went in to the Holy of Holies, they, were, they died. And so Paul says, this is the argument. The gospel brings you from being under the law into God's family as a son. The full rights of, of sonship. Now you get to call God Abba, Father. And no other religion makes God that intimate. Now, that's the historical argument. That's, that's the trajectory. Now, let's apply it to ourselves. Because this is personal. And Paul even makes it personal. He says, you are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And in some ways, he's, I think he's talking about the law. You're not, you're not in grad school when you're trying to live by the law. You're not somebody special. It's actually a trip backwards. He's saying you're enslaved. It's the same words of Jesus in John 8. Anyone who commits a sin is a slave to that sin. That the entire world lives by the law. We've been saying this week in and week out in different ways. And so you live by the law in school. If you want to get good grades, you have to study and pass the tests. In your careers, you live by the law. If you want a promotion, you have to earn it. If you don't want to be fired, you have to meet a certain set of expectations. Relationships, you live by law. If you want to keep your relationships that you have, you have a set of standards that people must meet. That's what we talked about last time. To have that kind of relationship. So what Paul's saying is that you once, outside of Christ, were living by the law. You were, you were enslaved. And that's our default mode. For whatever weird reason, because of, because of the way sin works, because of the way sin has twisted our hearts in on ourselves, I know myself, it's a lot easier to live and relate to God as a servant than it is as a son. Because it puts power back in my hands. You know, I just got to do the right thing. Let's look at Luke 15 again. This will help us make sense of this. I want us to see this morning that whether you try and live by the law of God or try and live without the law of God, you're still living under the law. And you're separated from God, 
God as a father. You'll never get to know him as your father. Because that both the prodigal son and the elder brother need to be set free from the law. They need to grow up. So look at the younger brother. He says, he looks at his dad. I know this is a familiar story, but he looks at his dad and says, give me my inheritance right now, which is the equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead. I'm tired of, wait, I'm tired of living life with you, dad. I don't want you here. I want to be gone. I want to live life my way. Your rules aren't something I want to submit to anymore. Give me what's mine. So let's picture it this way. Say the father is wealthy. He's a wealthy landowner. Let's say he has land worth $9 million. This will just help make the math easier. The oldest son in that day would get double of every, all the other siblings just to make sure the, the land would stay in the family. And so essentially, the, what, what the son was asking for, the youngest son, he's saying, give me $3 million right now. Sell one-third of your property so that I can walk off with $3 million in, in tow and go, go do what I want with it. And everybody expected Jesus in the story to say that the father then just kicked him in the pants and said, get out of here. And he didn't. The father said, okay. And he goes off to a far country and he spends it in wild living. He goes to Cancun for spring break. He wastes all his money, <laughs> spending and partying and prostitutes, and he ends up with nothing. But here's what I want you to see. is Jesus is showing you a young man, anyone who tries to live life apart from God is still stuck living under law. Even though he said, I don't want to live in this home anymore, I want to be free. I want to do my life my way. No rules, no right or wrong for me, I'm free. He still lived his whole life like a servant. That was the structure of his heart. He left his father to set up his own rules. He had said, I don't want to be under your law. He basically exchanged one set of laws for another. And what happened was, it left him in the pig pen all alone. Ashamed, miserable, feeling the full curse of the law. Because he tried to live up to what other people thought. That didn't work. So here's the big idea, that non-religious people, they aren't lawless. I know it's a popular thing to say, all right, if, if you don't have God, why are you good? Which is a very good question to ask. And they are good. Non-religious people are, and oftentimes, much better than we are because they have exchanged God's set of laws for their own. They're living according to the elementary principles of this world, which is another way of saying they are doing in order to get. Folks leave the church and don't want to have anything to do with the God of the Bible because they don't like his laws because they think they're going to stifle their joy, their freedom. God can't be good if he sets up boundaries like that. He takes, he doesn't give. And so what people leave the church, I mean, this is what our young people are doing in droves. Say, I'm going to go live life my way. And they find out that it's a lot harder than they ever imagined. They end up in the pig pen alone, ashamed, living for romance. That, that ends up leaving them crushed. 
living for career, if you don't get ahead, feeling like a failure. Living under law. Just because you escape the church, so to speak, it doesn't mean you escape slavery. The law is so ingrained into the way this young man thinks, it actually goes into his apology. Listen to it again. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just let me be a servant. I don't care if I have access to you anymore. Just let me eat. So this is, this is what's in our hearts. Or maybe I'll ask you, is this attitude in your heart? Because the servant is never around and never in, always trying to earn wages. The younger son, I mean, to the extent we say, God, I screwed up, let me make this right for you. That, that's a younger brother mentality, still trying to live as a servant. And it's actually an insult to the father, if you think about it. Because it's saying, you don't have the wealth to let me back in. It's saying, you're not kind enough, you're not generous enough. You don't have the temperament to even want me back. Non-religious people, younger brother types, those who break the law, are still enslaved to the law, even as we try to escape the law. Then you look at the elder brother. It's almost a much clearer cut case because he stayed home and he did all the right things and he didn't get a party. <laughs> and so he's out pouting in the field and just the attitude, you hear the things he says to his dad. He says, I've been slaving my whole life. I didn't go crazy. You gave me nothing, not even a young goat. And he's completely forgetting the fact that the father had already divided his inheritance saying, don't you see everything that I have is yours? You have $6 million. My property is your property. And what Jesus is saying, this is Israel. They had the law. They were around God the Father. They experienced his generosity. And all they can say is, I'm just a servant. I'm not good enough. You're not happy with me. And so this is what Paul is teaching us here from Galatians, that the law will always leave you enslaved, always trying to live as a servant when we have the full rights of sonship if you come to Christ by faith. That the law was given to show us that we don't believe God is a good father. Because if we, would, if we did, we would try and live by faith, not by law. Right, legalism. Living by law, trying to be good, and relativism, trying to do whatever you feel is right in the moment, both lead to slavery under the law. Now, second point, meet God the Father who, who is more generous than we, we give him credit for. <laughs> He's more generous. He, this is the God, your Father, who gives you everything he has to make you his son. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about the Trinity. God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. They are one God. Well, God the Father, according to Paul, sent his Son to redeem you from being under the law. And he sent his Spirit so that you might experience the fatherhood of God. He literally gives you everything he has. 
All that I have is yours, says the Father. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And because you are sons, he sent his Spirit into our hearts. This is the good news of the gospel. Put it this way, that that when the father runs and embraces the younger son and pours out his love, embraces him in compassion and kisses him before he ever gets his apology out, that's what legally what, what Christ died to accomplish, so you could have that experience to redeem you from slavery. Paul, in, here in our text, he's using an example from Roman culture, from Greco-Roman culture. I started, I got confused earlier. I said that, misspoke. But this is where Paul's saying that an heir without a son could see a slave and say, I want to make you a son. And so this is how it would happen, is the adoptee would be taken out of his previous state. The father would pay off the debts. All of his debts would have been canceled, and then he now lived the rest of his life as a son in this family. And so on the one hand, yeah, the father owned all the property and controlled the relationships and had the right to tell him what to do. But on the other hand, the father was making himself liable for everything that the son does for the rest of his life. It was a legal declaration, but it was also a family relationship. You are my son. Today I brought you into my family. It's a new life of privilege. <laughs> That's what the gospel's here for. That's what God did for us. All right. That God, out of his good pleasure, saw you and I relentlessly trying to live as servants. And he sent Jesus to, to live life under the law which is another way of saying he lived life fully human, yet perfect. Died a perfect death, took the curse of the law to set us free so that you could call out Abba Father. And this is what God's doing in the world. He is actively pursuing sons to adopt from all walks of life, from all across the world. Not based on class, how much money you have. It's not based on race. Um, it's not based on gender. One family with the full rights of sonship, that even in the church, elder and, and, uh, and sheep, I don't have any more rights to the access of God the Father than you do. All one in Christ Jesus, a beautiful diversity and unified. Now, what are the rights of adoption here that, that Paul describes? You get this security, this rock-solid assurance that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Because he says, once you're in my family, you're always in my family. And if you are in my family, you go where I go and I go where you go. That's what the Spirit's there for. One of the great stories I heard was by a guy named Daniel Montgomery. And he tells this story about his adopted daughter. And when she was younger, 
for whatever reason, the family she was with before just didn't work out. They would always go to Disney World and never take their adopted child. And she thought that it was because of something she had done. I don't understand why. Neither did, did this pastor um, telling the story. But as soon as he heard that, he said, I'm, next time we're in Florida, I'm taking our whole family. I'm taking this young lady to Disney World. And so the opportunity came. He got to, had a speaking engagement. They made plans for a family vacation to Disney World. And he said, something weird happened. I thought that she would be excited, and she became a horrible human being to live with. She just started acting up, misbehaving. She started breaking things. She started saying cruel things to her sister. And a couple days before they were ready to leave, he said, I had this conversation with my daughter after she'd done something wrong. And she looked at him and said, you're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? And he said, I realized in that moment that she was doing everything to prove that she was not worthy. He said, you know, my weakness, I was tempted to take advantage of it, but fortunately I didn't. <laughs> he, said, he asked one question, are, are you part of the family? Yes. Then you're coming with us. There are consequences, but you're mine. And so they got to Disney World, that beautiful place where it's, there's just enough magic to overcome the misery <laughs> and the long lines, the heat. And at the end of a long, exhausting day, he asked her, how was her day? How was your time at Disney World? And she said, it was good, Daddy. But it, wasn't good. it was great that I finally got to go to Disney World, but I got to go not because I was good, but because I'm yours. That's the privilege of sonship. God, as your father, says, I'm glad to be your dad. You are now my joyful, painful responsibility. All right. Legally, he has to follow you around. The price has been paid on the cross. But Paul even amps this up more because he says it's not just that you are called sons, that you have everything he has. He says, I'm sending you the spirit that you might experience it. Not just in your head, that you might have something in you so that when you are in trouble, you can cry out, Abba, Father, an emotional plea. God, come, come, be my father. Do the things that you said you would do. All right. <coughs> so you're saying, God, you tell me I'm God's son, I don't feel like it. God says, well, I'm sending you my spirit. You don't have to feel like it all the time. The spirit's going to help you cry out. I mean, th this is what our kids do. This is the stage of life we're in with having three kids under three. Kids fall, they scrape their knee, and they scream, Mommy or Daddy, come help me. Come make this better. And as any parent will tell you, if you hear your kids cry from miles away, you can tell it's your kid and you come running. Also, you can experience the gospel was given so you might experience all the rights of adoption. So intimacy is another one. 
if you come to my house in the middle of the night and ask for a drink of water, one, I'm going to say, why are you in my house? <laughs> and two, I'm not going to get you a drink of water. But if my son does, once I finally wake up, you know, because he's my son, he has a right to walk in. That's, that's the kind of access we have with God through faith. When you get a total new, totally new motivation for obeying, because if the delight of a father doesn't get you to obey, what will? <laughs> it's a relationship. Say, my, my daddy loves me. I want to be like him. You get a new motivation for confessing. And this is something I've always struggled to understand. Why do we, if we've completely forgiven, need to confess our sins? And the answer is, is because we have a father. And we relate to him like a father. And there's nothing more a father delights in than hearing that the son actually cares about what he thinks. And so this, I mean, this happened in our household last week where we're, we're slowly teaching Jonah how to apologize for when he does something wrong. And he, had, he turned out the lights on me when he shouldn't have. And I barked at him to turn the lights back on. I didn't think anything of it until the night, that night when I was putting him to bed. And he said, Daddy, I'm sorry for turning the lights out on you. I was like, oh, he really does notice me. <laughs> it warmed my heart because he was doing something sons are called to do. That's, what, that's why we confess our sin as Christians, so that we would grow in our relationship with our Father. You get a totally new way of dealing with your emotions. You have the full rights of sonship um, to cry out for help. You live your life now as God's son. I know some of you went through the, the sonship course. They had a great way of putting this. It's just saying, if you're anxious, it's because you're living like an orphan. You've forgotten that you are more valuable than the birds. That was Jesus' teaching. Uh, if you are angry, you're living like an orphan. If you're bitter and you can't take criticism, you're living like God doesn't care about you, that you don't have the righteousness of Christ, that you aren't listening to God tell you that you are my child in whom I'm well pleased because I'm pleased with Christ. I'm pleased with you. You live your life as a son. even more fantastic. God sends you his spirit so that you can experience him personally. One of the Puritans put it this way, you can be walk, a father and a son could be walking down the road and the son will know that his dad is his dad. But there's an amping up in the relationship when the father swoops down, picks him up, holds him up in the air and says, I love you. I'm glad you're here with me. That's what the spirit's Therefore, because there's a greater sense in your own experience, you get a greater measure of the Father's delight as he swoops you up and says, this is, this, is why, this is why Jesus died, so you could experience this. This is what Jesus has been experiencing for all of eternity, that you might be loved as he is loved. So, conclusion... Paul says, why do you want to live like a servant? Why would you want to go back to elementary school under a guardianship when you have the full rights of sonship 
God is your father, who really is that good, who says in Christ, I'm glad I'm your dad. I'm glad I'm your daddy. This God, this is a God of the Bible. He's so concerned that you and I would see him as non-threatening, gracious and compassionate, tender and kind, that he sent his son to die on your behalf. He gave up his most prized possession. And then he sent his spirit himself, all that he had, so that you would have what he has. How do you apply this? One, this is how you grow as a Christian. How does an adopted child know that grow? Well, I'll put it this way. How does an adopted child grow in their security? How do they know they belong to the family? You got, one, you can look at the legal paperwork. Right? My parents paid a lot of money for me to be here. And for us as Christians, that's Christ's blood paid on the cross. But two... You, you look at all the different ways that your family has loved you, putting clothes on your back, giving you air to giving you uh, food on the table, all the little things. But the whole idea is, is if you're adopted as a son, you look at the price and say, my parents love me that much, they're not going to leave me alone. As a church... You know how we apply that? There is a beautiful diversity here as we are one in Christ. We are all sons. We all have the same rights and privileges when it comes to relating to God our Father. Which means there probably should be a lot more uh, intimacy. Families sit around the table together. Uh, they, They know the good, the bad, and the ugly. My brother and I roomed together. We didn't have a choice. Our rooms look the same now. We both have messes. The sisters-in-laws <laughs> compare notes and complain. <laughs> but it's the whole idea is we, you learn about each other's dirty laundry. There should be a greater intimacy among us. Because we're not living by law, we're living by faith. It removes all those things that cut us off from one another. We're a family. That our our church should look like the picture Paul says. A multi-ethnic, diverse family, all walks of life, poor, uh, rich, white, black, any race you could think of, male and female. I could say it this way, gay or straight. Homosexual urges doesn't mean you can't be a child of, of God. I mean, this is a huge argument in our culture. And if we don't say that from the pulpit of saying, you too can have God as your father as you try and make sense of who you are, God wants you to know that he is a good father. He says, I want to be your, I want to be your dad. Come join us. Come, come be a part of the family. It's a great hymn. It says, great father of mercies, whose goodness I own. I also own the covenant love of your crucified son, and all praise to the spirit whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. We have that by faith in Christ. Let's come to him. Let's pray.
God, I pray for those who are here laboring under the law that they would run to Christ and see the, that the price has been paid, that we are your sons, and we have an access, a confidence, and an otherworldly love that is unlike anything else. May this grace bind us to you and bind us together as we learn to live life together as a family, loved by the same Savior, uh, given to us by the same Father, through whom we all cry out together, Abba, come to us. Take us home. So I ask that this good news would sustain those who are suffering, those who are beat down by the law, and that we would learn together how to be your sons. We pray for your help. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.